Thank you for joining us for our current sermon series at City Baptist Church. And this is Pastor Paul, and right now we're in a study of the life of one of the most well-known individuals in all of Scripture, King David from the book of 1 Samuel. As we study the highs and lows of his life, we'll see that in every circumstance, God is working for his glory and for our good. We are so thankful that you would choose to grow in your faith with us. And if there's anything we can do for you, we would love to hear from you through our website or social media accounts. We really do believe that God is changing lives through His Word, and so we are praying that you'd be encouraged and challenged by this week's message. All right, let's go ahead, and uh, we're in 1 Samuel chapter 20. I want to give us just a little bit of a review, and uh, we're going to cover a lot of ground. We're going to cover the entire chapter this morning, and so I hope you've got your Bibles, and i got a lot of it on the screen, and uh, that you'll stick along with me as we, as we move uh, forward together. But we're in 1 Samuel chapter 20, and just to remind us where we're at, we're in the study of the life of King David. And so we're looking at, uh, really from the very beginning in 1 Samuel there, and we're looking at God's anointed, really the king that God had set apart, the one that God desired the righteous king uh, of Israel. Now, we know there was an unrighteous king, King Saul. He's a picture of the world and uh, somebody who only lived for himself. And then we have uh, King David, who was the anointed of God, the chosen one, the one who's to lead the people uh, back to a place of righteousness, uh, a man after God's own heart. And where we are today in chapter 20, uh, we reconnect with David as he is still fresh off of uh, his victory over Goliath. Now, Samuel the prophet had anointed him, remember, as king. And so now what we do is we see him step into that uh, unique role and has that victory over Goliath and everything that happened with that. Uh, That led to the destruction of the Philistine army. Uh, It then led to him really enjoying and receiving the love and the admiration uh, of the people of Israel. And in fact, if you remember last week, the women of the nation wrote a song about him. Uh, before service, I said, Chris, can you uh, write me a real quick song uh, that they sang about David and uh, Saul? And he said, no. So anyway, we don't have that for you. I know you're excited. I was excited too. I thought I'm going to have him up here and just make it up on the fly, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't do that to him. Uh, but they sang this song, and, and of course, uh, the, uh, the women were singing this. They composed this song, and, and David, if you remember, was newly married to the daughter of King Saul. Uh, he had a really close friendship uh, with Jonathan, who was the firstborn of King Saul, and everything seemed to be going well. He was experiencing victories. Even when Saul asked him to do some pretty weird stuff, go out and fight different battles, he succeeded, and God was on his side, and just so many great things were happening for David until uh, everything stopped going really well. All of a sudden, things just seem to be going downhill all at once. Have you ever had a week like that? You know, things are going great, and it just seems like everything is working out in my life, and then it's like in two days, everything just goes, you know, it's over, it's done. And you're like, what is happening to me? That's kind of how David was. Things were going so well until they weren't. And it all started with that song I mentioned. The song that those women sang, if you remember, it kind of got to King Saul. Uh, It was one of those catchy tunes, I think, that just sort of got stuck in his head. You know, like Baby Shark or something like that. It's like, stop, some of you are in it right now. Stop, don't think about it anymore. But uh, this song is in his head, and it it irritated him because it revealed, really, it revealed uh, that Saul was not the man that he should be. He was not the king that he should be. And even the people of the nation were beginning to recognize that. But this song got in his head, and as we saw last week, that seed of jealousy was 
planted in his heart, and that began to grow, and there was some fruit of that jealousy that came out of King Saul, and a guy without the Lord, a guy without any self-control, he soon, uh, very soon became overwhelmed and overtaken by his emotions, and he began to try to get rid of the, the source of his jealousy, which of course was David. Now, last week, we looked at several attempts that King Saul made to kill David personally, and then later on through his family, and later on through his servants. And David finally escapes, and he goes to the prophet Samuel, and he begins to tell the prophet uh, everything that was happening. And then in a very unique set of circumstances, uh, at the end of chapter number 19, uh, Saul is stopped from his pursuit of David, and it seems like things are beginning to calm down. He goes back to Gibeah, which was sort of the headquarters of the nation, and so Saul's there, and David kind of moves on from uh, uh, Ramah, that area. He begins to go a little bit more north, and it seems like God had stepped in, and it seems like things are beginning to calm down a little bit. And for you and I, just to read it at face value, that's what it seems. It seems like, okay, you know, Saul's kind of given up the pursuit. He's no longer uh, trying to kill him. But David, and especially for David, he wasn't convinced And and neither you and I should be. We shouldn't be convinced uh, that Saul's done trying to kill him. And David wasn't convinced, and so his some fear began to develop in David's life. His past experience taught him to uh, not necessarily return to where the home of Saul was. And so he comes up with a plan, and he comes up with something that he hopes will reveal King Saul's real intentions to him. And this is where we're going to pick up the story this morning in 1 Samuel chapter 20. I want you to begin by seeing, first of all, David's concern, okay? We see David's concern, and I'll begin reading in verse number one. And David fled from Naoth in Ramah and came and said before Jonathan, what have I done? What is my iniquity? And what is my sin before thy father that he seeketh my life? So David and Jonathan, this relationship, of course, is very close, and somehow they find a way to get connected. I'm not sure how it all happened. We're not given those details here in Scripture, but they get connected again, and David comes to Jonathan, and the original original languages reveal to us the way that David came to Jonathan. In fact, he came to Jonathan from a position of humility, still kind of the idea of, I'm just a lowly shepherd boy, Uh, you're the son of the king, and he came in humility, and he comes and he asks him three rapid-fire questions. Did you notice that? He says, what have I done? Uh, what is my crime? What is my sin? What, what is it? Uh, well, how have I wronged your father? Like, why is he trying to kill me? I think today, uh, you know, we just be like, bro, what is up with your dad, right? Like, what is wrong with him? Why is he trying to come and why is he trying to kill me? You know, David is saying, and, and, and rightfully so, what has he done to try to hurt King Saul? I mean, think back with me. Just in the, in the chapters, we've had eight messages so far in this. What has David done to try to kill Saul? Nothing at all. He's not done anything to try to hurt him. He's only tried to support him. He's fought on his behalf and all of this. He had, he had of course, uh, um, uh, uh, he, he had done everything he could to help him. He'd even risked his life to help him. And David's suspicious, rightfully so. So he says to Jonathan, what have I done? Why is he still trying to kill me? And, John, and, and David at this point, I want to just point this out. Up until this point, David really had lived a life of complete trust and confidence in God, hadn't he? But yet here, for the first time, we see David with a twinge of doubt a little bit. We see him kind of like, hey, like, what's, what's going on? Is this really what God's plan is for us or is for me? We see David, we see the fear begin to creep into his heart a little bit. And to me, it's just a reminder to all of us that no matter who we are, we all struggle with doubt. We all struggle with discouragement sometimes. 
Even the most faithful of of followers of Jesus Christ have moments where there's a difficulty, there's a season of life where it feels like everyone's against you and everything's trying to come after you. And you begin to wonder, you begin to question, what is it that I've done? And, And in the back of your mind, you have a false view and an improper view that maybe God's trying to punish me in some way. And, and you struggle with that, and, and it, it's, we're not immune to it at all. And that's what we see here with David. He's beginning to be concerned, but what is so great is that he has a good friend like Jonathan. And so while David is fearful, Jonathan is there with a word of encouragement. And Jonathan's a good friend, and so he tries to encourage him, although it is sort of in a weird way that he encourages him. Look at verse number two. And he said unto him, God forbid, thou shalt not die. He says, behold, behold, my father will do nothing, either great or small, but that he will show it to me. And why should my father hide this thing from me? It is not so. In other words, he says, don't worry, David, if my dad tries to kill you, he'll tell me first and I'll let you know. Isn't that, that's really, uh, you know, man, makes me feel really good. Great. If he's going to kill me, my dad will tell me first. Well, David is not convinced. He's still concerned. And so what happens is David comes up with a plan to test Saul to see if what Jonathan is saying is actually true. And so we see secondly in our passage, you see David's plan. Now let's go to chapter uh, 20 again in verse number three. I'm going to read verses three through 11 to you and just sort of talk us through what's happening. So David then, he swore, uh, swear moreover, and he said, thy father certainly knoweth that I have found grace in thine eyes. So he's talking to Jonathan. He says, your dad knows that you and I are, are good. And he said, um, Let not Jonathan know this, lest he be grieved, but truly as the Lord liveth and as thy soul liveth, there is but a step between me and death. So David's still concerned about dying. Then said Jonathan unto David, whatsoever thy soul desireth, I will even do it for thee. And David said unto Jonathan, behold, tomorrow is the new moon and I should not fail to sit with the king at meat, but let me go that I may hide myself in the field unto the third day at evening. And if thy father and all miss me and then say, David earnestly asked leave of me that he might run to Bethlehem, his city, for there's a yearly sacrifice there for all the family. If he say thus, it is well, or if he says, meaning good, okay, that's okay. If he says that, thy servant shall have peace. But if he be very wroth, he's angry, then be sure that evil is determined by him. Therefore thou shalt deal kindly with thy servant, for thou hast brought thy servant into a covenant of the Lord with thee, notwithstanding if there be in me iniquity, slay me thyself, for why shouldest thou bring me to thy father? He says, if there's sin in me, he says, Jonathan, you can just kill me, okay? And Jonathan said, far be it from thee, for if I knew certainly that evil were determined by my father to come upon thee, what, uh, then would I not tell it thee? Then, de- then said David to Jonathan, who shall tell me? Or what if thy father answer thee roughly? And Jonathan said unto David, come, let's go out into the field. And they both of them went out into the field. Okay, so what's happening here? Well, David is not convinced that Jonathan uh, is telling the truth. He's actually not convinced that Saul wouldn't lie to his son in order to get David there in order to kill him. So he's not convinced. And so he decides to come up with this test. And the test is this. He's going to skip the traditional three-day feast at the new moon. This is something that was very common. And he was supposed to be there as part of he wants to test Saul. And so he says to Jonathan, I'm just not going to show up and we're going to, and I want to play video games at my neighbor's house. And I would send my little brother in to go see how the parents are feeling, go in and ask if we can come in and play video games and how they respond determines whether or not I go in, right? Okay. (laughs) That's what's happening here. Not the same, obviously. There's a little higher stakes. 
But David wants to know what's going to happen. And so Jonathan agrees. And so he says, well, how are we going to figure this whole thing out? How am I going to communicate with you? Nobody needs to know that we're connected or talking. What's going to happen? And so he says, hey, let's go down to this field. So if we'll continue, I won't read all of it for you. I'll just give you the overview. They go down into the field. They go to this rock. It must have been a common stone in a field because it had a name, the name Azel. And there, Jonathan uh, reiterates his covenant with David. He had a covenant relationship. They were like, listen, we are, we are bros. We are together. Uh, we are not going to, we're not going to turn on each other. And he, he renews that covenant. He recognizes and, and identifies David. He says, I know that God's hand is on you. I know that you were anointed. I know that you're going to be the next king. I accept that. Even though Jonathan himself, rightfully so, was the next in line to be the king, he humbled himself and he said, I, I'm going to accept uh, what God has done and what God has placed here on David. And so they renew this covenant. They affirm the calling and they, they meet there. And then they decide, how are we going to communicate? So Jonathan's going to go back, right? He's going to go back to the court. He's going to, he's going to be there for the meal. How are we going to communicate what happens after this whole situation plays out? So David comes up, or they come up with this idea, and he says, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to come out there afterwards, and I'm going to bring some arrows with me, and I'm going to bring a servant with me, and I'm going to go out to the field, and I'm going to shoot some arrows. I, and, and he's obviously doesn't have great aim because he's going to have to send someone to go and try and find them. So he says, I'm just going to pull back. I'm going to shoot some arrows and uh, I'm going to yell to my servant. I'm going to say, hey, go get my arrows for me. He's the king's son. Okay. That's what would have been happening. And so he says, go and get them. And, and he, here's what he tells David. If I say that the arrows are on the side of you, if I say, hey, they're over there on the side, then that means everything is safe. Everything's safe. Okay. But if I say, oh, the arrows are past problems. Okay, can you say that with me? Side, safe, ready? Side, safe, past, problems. Okay, problems, okay, good. You'll never forget that, that's great. If it goes past, then there's gonna be problems and, and things are not gonna work out. And so they come up with this whole thing and David wants to confirm with it. Of course, David, I'm sure David was like, just Jonathan, remember, I'm gonna be right here, okay? Make sure it's far to the side and far long, okay? Don't even come close to hitting me. He makes sure of that. They part ways. He goes back in the forest. He's gonna hide out. Jonathan goes back to the headquarters there in Gibeah. And this is where we see David's reality, our third thought here this morning. David's reality. Look with me at verse 24. <clears throat> So David hid himself in the field, and when the new moon was come, the king sat him down to eat meat. And the king sat upon his seat as at other times, even upon a seat by the wall. And Jonathan arose, and Abner sat by Saul's side, and David's place was empty. Nevertheless, Saul spake not at anything that day, for he thought, something hath befallen him. He's not clean. Surely he is not clean. So the plan's in place, and the first night comes for this, uh, for this feast. Notice in here how it describes how everyone was sitting. It says that King Saul sat where he normally did with his back up against the wall. That just shows us again the insecurity of this guy. He wanted to make sure that he could see everything, that no one could sneak up behind him. I mean, he was sure that someone was going to try to kill him. He was a paranoid king. And so he's back up there. He's got his back against the wall. There's Abner, uh, the general. Jonathan, it says, was standing there. And, uh, and, and then it says here that there was David's seat and it was empty. Now, for what it's worth, we got to give Saul a little bit of credit. He gives David the benefit of the doubt at first. Did you notice that? He says, oh, I'm sure he just missed it. Uh, and he says that he thought to himself uh, that perhaps he was just not clean. Now, this feast that they were having was actually a religious uh, type of an event. And so in the law, Leviticus chapter 11 through 15, if you want to look it up, that kind of describes things that would make a person unclean and unable to worship, at least for a time. 
he, he thought to himself, maybe something happened, you know, uh, maybe, maybe some, something happened and David just couldn't make it. And so he gives him the benefit of the doubt. And uh, he says that he's probably ceremonial unclean. Now, this is just interesting. Think about it. Saul, was, Saul believed that David would actually obey the law, even though Saul himself never obeyed the law, right? I mean, how many times did Saul break the law? But here we see him like, you know what, if, if something happened, I'm sure that David would just do the right thing. He knew, he knew his character. And so he's not there and he says, ah, he must have just missed out because of that. Then we come to verse 27. And it came to pass on the morrow, so the next day, remember it's three days, which is the second day of the month, that David's place was what? Empty. Come on, say it with me today. It was empty, right? It was empty, good. And, uh, and, and Saul then said unto Jonathan his son, wherefore cometh not the son of Jesse to me? So where is he? Neither yesterday nor today. So immediately we begin to see some tension begin to develop in the room. So the first day, you know, Saul just kind of kept it to himself. Today, David's not there and he speaks to Jonathan and he says, where is he? Now notice how he refers to David. He doesn't call him David. Did you notice that? He calls him the son of Jesse. And that's almost in a way, it's like a derogatory term, you know? He doesn't even identify David in the sense that David's made a name for himself. He just derogatorily or speaks down about him and says, ah, oh, where is this son of Jesse that's not here? He doesn't even recognize him. And so then he demands an explanation for the absence. Well, Dave, uh, Jonathan sticks to the script. And Jonathan answered Saul, David earnestly asked me leave to go to Bethlehem. And he said, let me go, I pray thee, for our family hath a sacrifice in the city. And my brother... That's an addition. My brother uh, hath commanded me to be there. And now, if I found favor in thy eyes, let me get away. I pray thee and see my brethren. Therefore, he cometh not unto the king's table. This is just a sort of an interesting tidbit here where it says, when he says, let me get away, it's, it's a word that means escape. Now, some commentators believe that this was an accident. Like Jonathan said that word escape by accident, but it became sort of a trigger for Saul. Still high, he's still trying to get away. The language is in that way. So Jonathan comes and he shares the plan. Jonathan, I believe, thought that his dad was gonna be okay. Uh, but man, was he wrong. Look at verse 30. Then Saul's anger was kindled against Jonathan. And he said unto him, thou son of the perverse, rebellious woman. Uh, I can't even believe I said that in church. I'm sorry. Uh, I mean, that's, that's strong wording right there. I'll explain what it means in a moment. Uh, he says, do not I know that thou hast chosen. These are key phrases here. You've chosen the son of Jesse to thine own confusion and unto the confusion of thy mother's nakedness. For as long as the son of Jesse liveth upon the ground, thou shalt not be established nor thy kingdom. These are important things that he's saying here. Wherefore now send and fetch him to me. Why? Because he's going to die. He is going to die. So what's happening here? Saul's anger, I mean, is immediately exposed and it turns upon Jonathan and the abuse that he lays on Jonathan, I mean, is, is kind of extreme. You can almost say that it's obscene. Now, the truth of this is that Jonathan was not the son of a uh, perverse, rebellious woman. He was actually the son of a perverse, rebellious man, wasn't he? Now think about that. That's the reality of the situation here, is that Jonathan was the son of a, of a, of a, bad, of a bad guy, of a bad guy. But yet, of course, Saul's never going to admit that. And so what does he do? He, he begins to insult his mother. But in essence, what he is saying to Jonathan is that you're not even my son. He's essentially saying you're illegitimate. It's what he's saying to him. You're an illegitimate 
son of mine. So you say, what is going on here in, in Saul's life? Well, in Saul, what I believe is happening here is that in Saul, there's an ever-growing realization to the future kingdom of David than he was to the kingdom of Saul. Did you hear here what he says? He says that Jonathan had chosen this son of Jesse. He also said that Jonathan and his kingdom would not be established as long as David was alive. Samuel's prophecy that Saul's kingdom, if you remember Samuel had said to Saul, your kingdom is not going to continue, that was fresh in Saul's mind. And Saul maybe is beginning to finally understand that David was going to be the next king. And so because he knew, he knew that and he understood that a better king, remember he said a better one than you is going to be the king next, that is all starting to happen. He's starting to understand it. And Saul now is beginning to truly understand that even his own son was going to choose the righteous king that was to come. Now, in actuality, we know that Jonathan was not the one who had chosen David. We know that it was God who had chosen him. But here's what's happening. Jonathan simply was recognizing what God was doing and he wanted to make sure that he was going to be on the right side of history. Man, they are rocking out downstairs today. Can you hear that coming through the floor? That's awesome. They're having a good closing song. <laughs> Those of you that are new, you might be like, what is happening downstairs? That's not our kids' ministry. <laughs> oh, man. That's all right. It's a fun part of sharing buildings with people. And, uh, and so, but we can, we can, you can hear me okay, right? Do we need to turn me up? Okay, good. Turn me up a little bit if we need to for a moment. This is a really important section of the passage I want you to understand here. Jonathan was recognizing that David was the future king. David is the one who's going to be the king. Now, this is a great spot for us to remind ourselves that the kingdom of David, the righteous king, the one whose heart was after God himself, remember in scripture, this is a picture, this is a type, this is a representation of Christ and his perfect kingdom that is to come. And the whole situation between Saul and David is a representation for us, and it illustrates for us the battle between good and evil, between uh, the kingdom of the world and Satan and the kingdom of God. And just like Jonathan, every single one of us is faced with a decision. At some point in your life, you will be faced with a decision as to who you are going to pledge your allegiance to, as to who it is you're going to truly follow after. Is it going to be after the things of this world, like we talked about uh, in our scripture reading earlier? Is it going to be, uh, uh, is it going to be following after uh, the enemy of God and the, the, the king of this world? Or is it going to be following after Jesus and his kingdom? Where are you going to place your allegiance? Jonathan here is at a point of decision, and even Saul recognized uh, to where he was placing his allegiance. So Saul is being reminded of his failure to live up to his calling. He's seeing that Jonathan is, is choosing uh, David, and so then he says, I want you to bring him to me so, you can, so we can kill him and we're going to preserve the kingdom for our family. Well, look how Jonathan responds in verse 32. And Jonathan answered Saul, his father, and said unto him, wherefore shall he be slain? What hath he done? He said, what is he, dad, what are you doing? He hasn't done anything. Verse 33, and Saul cast a javelin at him to smite him. Wherefore, Jonathan knew that his father or that it was determined by his father to slay David. In case Jonathan wasn't convinced, Saul kills him, or tries to kill him, sorry, spoiler. No, he tries to kill him in the same way that he had tried to kill David three times before. I mean, think about it, the same way. By the way, anytime Saul is just hanging out and he's got a javelin with him, watch out, okay? We've learned that uh, from last week. It says he's just sitting there with his javelin. Watch out, like don't even try to talk to the guy. Jonathan thought he was immune though. Think about it, this is his son, his oldest son. 
And he's so filled with rage that he takes that same thing and he tries to pin him, same way, tries to pin him against the wall. I think we would say today, Saul completely lost it. I mean, he lost it. He snapped and, and, and went after his son. And I got to tell you, this is what a life that is controlled by your emotions will end up. You will do things that you never thought you would do. Think about it. A moment ago, Saul was enraged because the son of Jesse would rob his son of his kingdom. That's what he said, right? He said, he's going to take the kingdom from you. And then in the next moment, he tries to take that son's life, who he says he's preserving the kingdom for. You understand like just the, the, the craziness that is happening here. The one he's trying to preserve it for. Now, the significant thing that I want us to notice is that Saul identified Jonathan with David in this moment. In this moment, remember before David said, we're not even a step apart. It's like they're the same, they're the same person. And that's what ha- is happening here. Saul only identifies his son, Jonathan, now with David. And the same spear that he tried to kill David with, he now tries to kill Jonathan simply because of his allegiance to David. And then at that verse there, with probably the understatement of the year, the writer informs us that Jonathan knew that his dad wanted to kill David, (laughs) okay? (laughs) At that point, you know, understatement of the year. Saul knew that Jonathan had chosen David. Now Jonathan knew by the spear that he He understood that his father's jealousy had now manifested into hatred And he was so far from God that he was willing to kill even his own son in order to get revenge on the one he believed was going to take the kingdom from him. Listen, church, when we allow sin and we allow anger and jealousy and bitterness and all of these things, internal struggles that we have in life, when we allow it to control us and to take over us and we allow it to go unchecked and unforgiven and we do not ask forgiveness of God and we do not ask uh, and we do not forgive others, it just continues to build inside of you and make you irritable and angry and frustrated. And sadly, and I think you know this, those that are closest to you are the ones that are going to suffer from that. When sin is not made right with God, it's never only going to affect you it's going to affect those around you as well. And this is a picture that we see here in Saul and David, where Saul's anger and his bitterness eventually was turned even onto his own son, and his son was suffering because of that. I want to say this to the dads this morning, and listen, this isn't just for fathers today, but it's something that I've just been thinking about all week. But those of you that have children, listen, dads, do not let your unconfessed sin and the anger that you live in be turned on your children. And I feel that sometimes, not sometimes, I feel like it is time for parents, let's just put parents into this. It's time for parents to stop making your kids the outlet of your unconfessed sin and the things that you're not making right with God. You know, my children suffer the most when I am not walking with God and that flows out of me in the way that I treat them. By the way, that, that's the same thing in a, in a marriage relationship as well. The people that are closest to us are the ones that suffer the most when we're not willing to get right with the Lord. And that's what we see here with Saul. His anger was such that he turned and even tried to kill his own son. Well, Jonathan has the clear picture now. It says in verse 34 that he grieved for him, or not for his father, sorry, at this point, he didn't grieve for his father, but he actually grieved for David. And so on that third day, he heads out and he goes out to the field with those arrows The code that they had prearranged was followed and he shot some arrows and 
I don't know if his voice was kind of shaky when he said to his servant, they're past, they went beyond. They went beyond. When that servant comes back and he gives him his arrows, it tells us that Jonathan gave him his armor, gave him all of his weaponry. And he said, I want you to go back up to, back up to the house. I want you to go back up to the place there. And he was there and really is against protocol. But Jonathan is standing there now without any of his weapons, completely unarmed. And David and Jonathan have a final time of connection together. Look at verse 41. And as soon as the lad was gone, as soon as he couldn't see him anymore, it says, David arose out of a place toward the south. And he fell on his face to the ground and he bowed himself three times and they kissed one another and they wept with one another until David exceeded. David and Jonathan here are absolutely full of emotion as they weep together. Notice the, the even, even in this moment, David falling on his face is that idea of humility. There was this mutual uh, recognition. It says here that they kissed one another, which is not in a weird way. It's, it's a sign of affection uh, in, in the Old Testament, and even in many Middle Eastern cultures and, and even some South American cultures. You know, it's very common. Uh, and, and, and the idea here is that they were uh, not only uh, recognizing one another and showing their affection for each other, but it was a sign of mutual respect. I think it's hard for us to understand the emotion in all of this. We're so guarded, you know? We're so guarded. We don't have... Uh, often very deep, meaningful relationships. But this is like, I mean, this is like family to these guys. These two guys, they're like family, they're brothers. And there's so much emotion here and, and there, there, there's so much sorrow there. Although it does say at the end that David exceeded in sorrow, he was even, even more overwhelmed and weeping. They were weeping over the circumstances that had led to this departure that was about to come. Specifically, they were weeping over the hostility that Saul had towards David that meant that the relationship was going to struggle. Remember, neither David or Jonathan wanted hostility with Saul, but Saul had made it unavoidable. And so because of that, there's now tragedy all around. David did not want to harm Saul. He did not want to destroy Saul's relationship with his son. The damage here was all Saul's doing, and it brought great pain to them. Jonathan had the last word in verse 42. It says, and Jonathan said to David, we have sworn both of us in the name of the Lord saying, the Lord be between me and thee and between my seed and thy seed forever. And he arose and departed and Jonathan went into the city. Notice here, Jonathan reemphasizes his commitment to him. And he even goes so far to say is that, listen, You know, God is always going to be the one that binds us together. He's not only going to bind us together, he's going to bind our kids together, and our kids are going to be friends. And of expressing true friendship here. He says, we're going to be together, and, and the Lord is in the center of that friendship here. And he says that between us, there's always going to be peace. But the cost of that peace for Jonathan and David was going to be the anger of Saul. And the only way that Jonathan could have peace with his father would have been to abandon his commitment to David, but he never did. Now, Jonathan and David, at this point, they didn't know if they'd ever meet again. Now, later on, it happened they did meet. We'll talk about that when we get to chapter 23 in our study. But they met just one time under very difficult circumstances. But at this point, and here's where I want to just sort of wrap it all up for us this morning. At this point, Jonathan was committing and looking towards the future kingdom of David 
And that's why he emphasized the commitment that the two of them had between one another. Now, in many ways, in many ways, this story right here in 1 Samuel chapter 20 teaches us that Jonathan, or reveals us an example of somebody who's a model disciple of Jesus Christ. Do you remember what Jesus said in John chapter 15 and verse 18, where he said, if the world hates you, ye know that it hated me before it hated you. Do you remember that verse? It doesn't take much for us to imagine the conversation between Saul and between David, or between Jonathan and David, I'm sorry. And David saying to Jonathan, listen, if your dad hates me, I just want you to know it's not because of you. He hates me because of me, or he hates, he hates me, or he hates you because of me. And David making that connection. I'm sure as Jonathan experienced the pouring out of anger from his own father, he would have understood a little bit better later in verse 20 where Jesus said, if they've persecuted me, they will also persecute you. See, Jonathan, above anyone else, understood the cost of what it looked like to follow God's anointed. And I want to sit on this thought just for a moment as we close tonight or this morning. Jonathan understood and Jonathan knew the cost. He knew what it looks like to follow God. To me, this is one of the clearest Bible examples. And I don't know if Jesus was thinking about this when he said this. But in Luke chapter 14 and verse 26, Jesus said, if any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. Now, when Jesus said this, he was speaking to a group, a very large group of casual followers. He was trying to help them understand the difference between an observer and a true disciple. Because there really is a difference. There's a lot of people today who love the idea of Christ and they love to observe what God is doing and they like to uh, maybe involve some spiritual aspects into their life, but they're not truly a follower of Jesus Christ, a disciple of Jesus Christ. I'm not questioning their salvation today, but they're not truly all in, right? They don't truly understand the cost of what it means to follow Jesus. Now understand, Jesus is not saying that you and I should hate our family, okay? That's not the text message you need to send after this. Group family chat, I'm done with y'all, right? I'm done, no. That's not what he's saying here. Jesus is trying to illustrate to us, well, I would say this, his other teachings tell us otherwise. (laughs) But Jesus is trying to get those people to understand and us to understand that our love for our family should actually be less than our love for God. Or in this way, our love for God should make our love for our family pale in comparison because our love for God is so great. Now, I understand, and I hope you understand this, that if you love God supremely above all else, and you love him in an incredible way, more than your family, then you will, it will be reflected in your love and your sacrifice for your family better than if you just tried to love your family and not love God. That should be understood. But the point is this, our love for God and for his kingdom should be above anything else. And Jonathan is a picture of that to us. I mean, his dad was the king. He was the next in line. And yet when he understood and saw that God's hand was on David, that he was the anointed one, that this was the kingdom that God desired to come, the righteous kingdom, the man after God's own heart, when he saw all of that, he laid aside everything else at great cost, at great cost to him. And he began to recommit himself to David, which of course is a picture of our relationship and our commitment to Jesus Christ. Jonathan was faced with one of the hardest decisions that we face in this life, 
And it's this, when our family and when our loved ones and friends do not agree with our desire to follow Jesus, are we going to still continue to follow him anyway? Now, some of you are in that situation right now. Some of you right now are, are trying your best to live for God and your family strongly disapproves of your faith. For many of you that I know, you are the first Christian in your family. You're the first person that's trying to follow Christ in, in your, in your ty- you know, for generations. You're the only one. And you receive pushback and criticism and people mock you and make little offhanded comments about you. And, and sometimes it just gets a little bit wearing, doesn't it? And it's a struggle. I think you can maybe understand a little bit of what Jonathan is going through here in this story where he's suffering rejection from his dad. He's suffering rejection of the kingdom, rejection of all of these things of this world, of notoriety, of all of this. He's suffering it in order to pursue after the anointed of God, what is true. And that's why I believe Jonathan here is an amazing example for us of this truth because even in the face of death, he's committed to God's anointed. Anytime I'm confronted with these kind of thoughts, we have to reflect on our own commitment to Christ. And this week, I've been asking myself this question, you know, in light of this story, am I truly living a life of of discipleship? Is Christ magnified and lifted up in my life above all else? Do my kids know that I love God more than I love them? You say, that's going to create insecurity in their hearts. No, it won't. (laughs) Try it. It won't. Do the people around me understand and know that I'm a follower of Jesus Christ? Do I pursue him above my wealth, above my contentment, my comfort, my safety, or my family? See, this is the peace here that Jonathan is talking about. You see it there at the end. He talks about the idea of peace. And he's talking about peace that comes through a genuine, committed relationship with the king. And I believe that Jesus is speaking to us this morning. I know he's spoken to me about this and asking us, are you really my disciple? Are you really my disciple? Are you willing to go through difficulty? Are you willing to go through struggle and pain and and rejection in order to be the one who's following after the Lord's anointed? And that's a good thought for us this morning. Just something very simple today from this passage. Jonathan is a great picture of someone who's following the king. And he's committed. Remember that? How many times do we see, even just in this chapter, how he said, I'm committed, I'm committed, I'm committed, I'm committed. I wonder, are you committed to God? Is today maybe a day for you to recommit to God? Maybe for for months or for even years, you've been away from him. You've been struggling. You've been walking away from him, maybe intentionally. Today, I'm calling you, I'm asking you to recommit to God, to be that follower. Yes, it's not going to be easy. It's going to be difficult. It's going to be challenges. But it's worth it. It's worth it. It's worth it in the end. And we're going to see that even in the life of Jonathan, how he just lived in such an amazing way and how his life was a testimony of wanting and pursuing truth, even in the middle of a wicked environment like his father's environment and his father's kingdom. So that's the challenge for us today. And I want to ask you, are you truly a follower, a disciple of Jesus Christ? Let's have our heads bowed and our eyes closed just for a moment this morning as we do each week, have a time of reflection together. And as Chris plays for us, I just want to give you a moment in prayer. And I want to ask you, are you a follower of Jesus? Have you accepted him as your Lord and your King? It could be that there's one of you that there's, you've never entered into that relationship with Christ. You've never called him your Lord and Savior. Would today be the day that you accept him? 
For those of you that are followers of Christ, have you been struggling? Are you struggling with being committed and a devoted follower? Is the Christian life maybe just a matter of convenience for you? Or is it something that you are pursuing after and recommitting to on a daily and a weekly basis and recommitting yourself to the King? If not, maybe today needs to be that day. And I say for all of us, let's have a moment of recommitment and a moment of, of, of seeing in Jonathan this great example of pursuing after Christ. Jesus gave us that challenge and it's to us again. Are you one of my followers? Let's have a moment of prayer together. We hope that you were encouraged by the message today and we would love to hear how God has worked in your life. If you'd like to take the time to visit our website and send us a message through the contact page, we would really appreciate it. Have a blessed day.